I believe, if I remember correctly, we're supposed to dismiss kids at this point. So uh, dismiss our kids downstairs. I want to say a couple things that uh, I mean with all my heart. First of all, uh, this is my first week back into the pulpit, uh, and, uh, but what I really want to say is thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart, from my family. Uh, if you do not know this by now, uh, you, you'll hear me yap about it a little bit through the rest of the message and maybe be referred to from time to time in, in the days ahead. Uh, but I was given the wonderful gift from this gracious church, a 10-week sabbatical uh, that just wrapped up last week. And uh, I can't say enough how much of a blessing it was to me personally and my family. And I mean this with all my heart how much I appreciate and am thankful for every one of you in this room. I want to say that uh, not all sabbaticals go this way. Uh, there can be a, a griping, a murmuring amongst those who hear, well, I don't get a time off. We get that. We understand this is massively countercultural, and it is an act of grace on your part. But I just want to say from beginning to end, the reason we've been able to enjoy it and taste the sweetness of it is because every one of the people and members of this church have done nothing but express their joy and love for us and praying for us. I got countless text messages from you, just praying for you, so glad for you, trusting the Lord will give you the rest. And uh, I just can't say enough, like the gospel of Jesus Christ is so a part of the DNA of this congregation. We see the Spirit at work and the grace of Christ at work in your life. So that's a blessing, right? It tells us when we give one another grace, it blesses us. And so I thank you for that. Second of all, it's good to be back up in this mug. <laughs> I'm not just saying that either. This is our home as a family, this is our church. We love you. We love being here. I love preaching. I hate it too. It's just, you know, it's so hard. Like, but I love preaching. I love the Word of God. I love what it does in the lives of people when the Spirit of God moves. And so it's good to be back with you. And we look forward to many more seasons of ministry side by side with each and every one of you. So I'm first Sunday back in the pulpit. What do I preach? Well, as, as Jordan reminded me uh, uh, in watching some of the video a couple weeks ago, I don't know who picked this series. Uh, so we're going to take a little break from Ecclesiastes and just going to share a little bit uh, what the Lord has taught me in simple form. You know, maybe there'll be some stories that I'd love to sit down and share with you, but really I just want to highlight a few simple things uh, that the Lord taught me and re refocused me in many ways. But even beyond that, as I was a little even uncomfortable with that, because I'm like, well, that's cheesy. We don't preach sabbatical results. We preach the Word of God. Amen? And you need the Word of God. And so I was like, well, that's a little cheesy. But then I got to thinking, who am I to disregard what the Spirit of God might do and the things that He's impressed on my heart in a way that may speak directly to what you're dealing with today? This isn't about Mike Maisie. This is about the Lord speaking in and through me 
in order to encourage each and every one of you in the faith. So I believe with all my heart that the Lord wants to speak to you from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Does that sound good? I'm going to invite Erica Brandt. She's going to come and read. But before she does, I want to just assume that there may be some people here in the room that need a simple reminder of what the Christian life is all about. I needed that. I trust that maybe that's you here. Maybe there's some of you facing struggles in your faith. You're feeling the weariness of the walk, and you need encouragement. Maybe some of you are just so discouraged because you're so bombarded by temptation to sin. You feel shackled in it. You feel stuck. And you crave freedom and deliverance. If that's you here today, I believe the Spirit of God wants to speak to you. If you're here today and you have just been dealing with the difficulty of the world in which we live that is so distracted, you need to be reminded to be focused on Jesus. And I think the Spirit of God's got something to say to you today. Amen? Let's invite uh, Erica Brandt to come forward and read Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Our passage this morning comes from the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord, amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that the Spirit would move in our hearts. We pray that He would work in and through the, the reading and preaching of Your Word. We need Your Word to nourish us and strengthen us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a number of images throughout the Scriptures that encapsulate the Christian life. The biblical authors give us these metaphors or images that sum up what the Christian life is. Does anyone have any idea? Just a couple. Throw a few out. How about this one? As you're thinking. A battle. It's a battle, the Christian life. How about this one? A fight, right? Fight the good fight. A fight or a walk, a journey, Peter sojourning, right, passing through. Any other that I've forgotten? Image. What is it? A staircase. Okay. Anything else? A race. A race. Exactly. And what you see the author of Hebrews is he gives each and every one of us an image of what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is a race that we are called to run. Everyone just got really tired. 
Raise your hand if you like running. Okay, there's some of you that border on the line of insanity. I'm just bitter that my feet hurt. Running's great, you know, especially when you get that running high, right? Runner's high? Yeah, I've had that like once. The writer of Hebrews gives us this image of a race that we're called to run, and he stresses something. He says, run this race with endurance. Run this race with endurance. As you run, run with a sustained strength to keep taking another step all the way to the finish line. That's the Christian life. It's a race that we're called to run with the strength to sustain every step all the way to the finish line. The important question, which I believe the author of Hebrews tells us, is where do we get that strength? We don't like running because it is exhausting. It's hard. It requires a certain amount of strength and stamina. It requires uh, energy and ability. And if there's anything that makes you feel weak and exhausted, it's feet pounding the pavement one after another, mile after mile. You just start to feel the exhaustion that sets in. So we need strength to endure. Let us run this race with endurance. We need strength to endure. Where do we find such strength? He tells us, verse 1, Therefore, he gives us a reality that we may or may not be aware of here this morning as we run our race. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Do you know that as you run the Christian life, as you run the race, you run by, in such a way that you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We get the picture now of being in the stadium and the crowd around us, encircling us, as we run the track. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. If you know anything about Hebrews, you know that chapter 11, he's already gone on for 40 verses to tell us about these quote-unquote heroes of the faith. The former saints, the former race runners from the past. right? From, from Abel and, uh, to, to Abraham, to Moses, to Rahab. And I'm just giving a few. He gives the story of redemptive history. And all these people who, who ran the race by faith, awaiting the fulfillment of the promises. They had died in faith. Again, we know they're not heroes, right? Ultimately, they were imperfect people that heard the promise of God in the midst of their weakness, in the midst of their struggle, and even in the midst of their sins, they heard the promise of God and they believed Him. They received it by faith. And they anticipated the fulfillment of those promises. They ran in faith. They died and such they finished the race that was set before them. And now we get, as, as, David, as David Turner talks about, 
this, this picture of the fellow race runners that finished the race, it's almost like a relay race, right? If you, you ever been a part of a relay race team? So the first guy runs, the, the second person runs, and then all of a sudden it's your turn. And what do those previous runners do at the finish line? What do they do? They cheer. They cheer. And so that's what this great cloud of witnesses is. Fellow race runners from the past, the saints of old, this great cloud of witnesses, and their example is what strengthened us to run. Such saints and their stories outlined in Scripture are encouraging examples for us. That's why they're recorded, to be an encouragement to us, to run in faith as we consider their stories and their struggles. And not just the saints of old, but all of church history. And maybe even some recently in your life, those former saints who lived the life of faith day by day endured and they crossed the finish line in this life. Is there someone that you can look to in your past? Someone that has ran the race in faith and finished someone that has become for you an encouraging example to endure. Yesterday, Doreen and I drove all the way to Camden, New York. And we were at the graveside service of Pastor Ron Short. Some of you may know who he is. I presume many of you not. Pastor Ron Short was a... um, Uh, legendary youth pastor at Redeemer Covenant Church in Liverpool. It was many other things, but most recently he was that. He was a man that loved Jesus, loved people, brought so much joy to other people because of his love for Jesus, and had such an impact on the lives of so many teenagers because of his devotion, one of which was Doreen, my wife who was in his youth group. And she could share stories. Even yesterday at the graveside, she shared a story of the kind of impact that he had. And we went around one after another, uh, regardless of age and how they knew him, and his life in that moment, which has only been gone for a couple months, became an example and an encouragement. Everyone left that graveside yesterday thinking, I want to follow Jesus. Right? I want to run the race. I want to take another step. People that we know in our past that have affected us this way, they become encouraging examples for us. They cheer for us. They enter into this great cloud of witnesses and they say, go, go, don't give up. Keep running. Remain faithful. Don't quit. And their encouragement to us gives us endurance. One of the other things that happened over my sabbatical was I followed the advice of the guy that kind of overseed it, his uh, Brian Croft. He gave me a very three-word simple phrase, which is a little odd. He said, read some dead guys. And I thought, what do you mean? Read dead guys. It's like, what do you mean? Well, people that aren't in the moment, that lived a different moment, a different time in history, go and engage church history. Read a, a, a pastor uh, from the past 
And so I did. I started reading uh, a biography about Andrew Fuller. He was a Reformed Baptist pastor in England in the late 1700s, early 1800s. There's a lot I could tell you about. I won't get into much detail. But I read a short biography of him and also 19 ordination sermons that he preached at different ordinations. And when somebody was being ordained to ministry, he would preach there and he would give his pastoral theology, he would give his encouragement and charge to this new minister. And each one of those 19 ordination sermons became such a blessing to me. And his example, his emphases, became an encouragement to me. Someone outside of our time who went before me became just such a blessing to me. One of his famous quotes that I am going to get printed and put on my office is one that I hope will shape the rest of my life in ministry. It is this eminent spirituality in a minister often attends eminent usefulness. Eminent just means great. Great spirituality in a minister often attends great usefulness. And it was a reminder to me to remain faithful, to to focus on the most important thing, and that was my relationship with Jesus Christ. And there would be no substitute for my just growing in and cultivating my walk with Jesus Christ as in, in, in any way, shape, or form in such a way that would make me any uh, useful for kingdom priorities in this world. Without eminent spirituality, there is no usefulness for the kingdom in this world. So even as you consider people in your life that are part of this great cloud, I wonder if maybe you as well could consider reading former saints from the past. Grab a book, grab a biography, read. Listen to how the saints from the past have walked through the Christian life and ran the Christian life with faithfulness all the way to the finish line. I believe it will be a true encouragement to you. So as we run this race, we gain strength to endure by the example of former saints who finished by faith. But not only that, the author of Hebrews tells us that we gain strength by forsaking sin. By forsaking sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside every weight in sin. To run with endurance, we must let go of certain things. Imagine running with like all these clothes on and a bunch of stuff in your pocket and a backpack. Absolutely unnecessary. You know? Now, as I understand, some of these old school runners in this time used to run naked. I'm not saying run naked, okay? But you want to travel lightly when you're running. You don't want any weights or encumbrances. Some of these weights are not necessarily bad things. Some of them are actually good things. But nonetheless, when embraced and held on to tightly, and actually, when we refuse to let go of them, ultimately, they can become encumbrances to us. They can become weights to us. So I'm going to ask you, what in your life is not necessarily bad, but has become an encumbrance, a weight that slows you down, that makes the race of the Christian life all that more difficult? Again, it may not be a bad thing, but it may be an overcommitment to these things. 
As many of you know, I've been in real estate for a while. And I went from two to four to six to 32 apartments. The Lord's impressed on my heart that that is an absolute insanity. Is it a bad thing to be in real estate? Absolutely not. But is there, are 32 apartments an encumbrance for me to remain faithful to my job, to remain faithful? Absolutely, positively. And so we're selling 24. Sayonara. So long. And there's a freedom in that. Sometimes in our ambitions, we refuse to admit our limitations. Think on that one. Sometimes in our ambitions, we refuse to admit, become com- uh, uh, admit our limitations. And the counsel I've been receiving, it may be something that you have to think through. It's about time, Maisie, that you, got, uh, you came to peace with your limitations. Without doing this, you're going to run this Christian life with a lot of encumbrances. So what in your life is not necessarily bad, but is a weight that you run the Christian life with. That's a, just a refusal to admit your limitations. And it's gotten you weighed down and exhausted. It's all too much. And you, you, your mental energy is so divided all over the place that it hinders the race. May the Spirit of God reveal this to you. But the emphasis here is not just to lay aside every weight, but the sin which clings so closely. We have a magnetic pull towards sin, do we not? We live each day in the Christian life in an intense battle with a sin nature that so entangles. There's a battle in the soul of every believer. And what he's saying here is let go of sins which cling so closely. Repent. Turn away from them and turn to God. This was a major point of emphasis for me over the last 10 weeks. I felt a very strong call from the Spirit of God to prioritize personal sanctification. Lay aside every weight in sin which so easily entangles. Lust, pride, impatience, anger, anxiety, selfishness, harshness in tone and words. All these things that just came to my mind so easily. Because I feel them clinging all the time. Am I the only one here that feels the clinging nature of sin in my life? I don't think so. I think many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some sins that you're holding on to, or at the very least, you feel held by. Ones that you're hiding. It's time to let go. Amen? Lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles. Let it go. Lay it down. To have endurance, we must forsake sin. But you say in your weakness, I can't do it. You're right. In your own strength, you can't do it. You need the power of God, the Holy Spirit. God knows that. You need the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And that's why I believe that this command to lay aside every weight is a call to prayer. 
I believe this with all my heart. There are many ways that we can lay aside many applications here. Yes, be in biblical community. Have accountability. Go to church. You know, yes, all those things. But I believe with all my heart that the emphasis here that I want to lay upon, that's been laid upon my life, and I want to lay upon you, is that the battle for sanctification is waged on our knees, crying out to the Father in prayer. Are you praying daily, passionately, personally, to your God to be set free from the power of sin that clings so closely? Are you doing that? Or you become comfortable with sin? Have you just resigned to the fact that this is just what it's like? Whatever, someday I'll be free. And that is a true statement, finally and fully. But the Lord can set you free today. Amen? He who the Son has set free will be free indeed. And so I want to encourage you to prioritize personal sanctification. Let go of sin. Lay it down. Forsake it. Go to your Father in prayer. Confess your sins to the Father. He is able. And I'm a standing testimony of that. Man, I am still struggling with the same sins that I struggled with 12 weeks ago. But I want to tell you, I have definitely experienced the power of God in responding to my prayers, where I see Him strengthening me, where I see my affections and desires and my thoughts changing, my priorities changing, not perfectly, not totally, but progressively. And now I feel like He's awakened in me a renewed desire that I want to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you, ever, do you remember when the faith was just about Jesus? When you came to Christ, you were saved, you knew of his grace, you were amazed at the, the abundance of his mercy to forgive you and to set you free, and you were, prior, you were so focused on becoming like Christ that he was your end, he was your goal, he was your everything. For about five to six years, I was in a wilderness walking around trying to figure out what in the world was going on. And the Lord heard my prayer. Because that's what the Lord does. He hears our prayers. In His perfect way and timing, He answers our prayers. And He always gives His children what they ask for when they are in accordance with His will. And you becoming like Jesus is the will of God. You pray, make me like Jesus. He's going to answer that prayer. Father, I pray for a Jeep Wrangler. Probably not. Father, make me like your son. Conform me to his image. Give me the strength and grace to do that. Guess what? He will set you free from sin and awaken with you a desire for holiness and righteousness that is in accordance with who he is. Does that sound like the gospel to you? Amen. Ask the Father. Confess for the Father. To the Father. He will do that. In prayer, seek sin-subduing grace from the hand of Christ. That's what I'm asking you to do. In prayer, seek sin-subduing grace from the hand of Christ. This particular letter that Pastor John Fawcett wrote to Pastor John Sutcliffe. He said, I wrote, read a lot of pastors that wrote to pastors. Super encouraging for me. But I think he speaks in his, this letter to, to all of us. Listen to what he says, and he encourages us in these gospel truths. 
he says to Sutcliffe, he says, wrestle with him. He's speaking about God. For sin subduing grace and lay hold of his strength by the hand of faith. Millions of poor sinners have taken this course and none ever failed of success. Isn't that awesome to think about? No means are so effectual for the mortification. That just means the putting off and the the killing of sin. No means are so effectual for the mortification of sin as constant converse with Jesus in this manner. Are you dealing with sin? Constant converse with Jesus. Seek the Lord. He'll answer it. And He'll set you free. Amen? Amen. For strength to endure, we must let go of sin. And for strength to ensure, we must find, uh, uh, focus our eyes on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, focusing the direction of our lives on Jesus. When it comes to running a race, it is super important to keep your eyes fixated on the goal. And it is so hard in this distracted world, isn't it? We have a teenage driver again. Not many amens to that one. It's important to keep your eyes on the road and not your cell phone. Preach. Not the radio. Not your makeup, ladies. You got to stay focused. There's a danger in taking your eyes off the road. There's a pride that says, I can look at two things, three things, four things at the same time, and my peripheral's good enough. And all of a sudden, the common grace of the guardrail and that along the side of the throughway, I'm sure I'm the only guy that's ever hit those. You've got to stay focused on the end. And that's what the author of Hebrews tells us. Lay aside sin and fix your eyes. Focus on Jesus. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Focus heart and soul on the finish line. Jesus. The goal. The end. Devastating consequences can come if our eyes are not on the road. Not on the course, right? You know that whole one degree off illustration? I don't know what it is. It's like... It's probably some nickname for it. Some of you engineers are like, I know. Anyway, I don't know what it is. I just know that if you're off by one degree for a really long time, you're like way off someday. Way off. Like miles. Miles. I'm saying you might just be one degree off right now in your focus. But over time, you find yourself way off. How dangerous is that for the Christian? Imagine a loss of focus in the Christian life. The kind of devastating impact a distract, uh, being distracted could have, even if only in subtle ways. Subtle ways. The author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're here today, and you're wondering, what should the focus of your life be? What should you fixate on? It's Jesus. Why? Hebrews tells us. Who He is, 
He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. To be the founder means that he's the inaugurator. He's the trailblazer, the pioneer. Someone who achieves something in such a way to make it possible for others to follow. All those former saints in the hall, surrounded by, they weren't the pioneers. They weren't the founder of our faith. They couldn't get it done for others, for themselves. Jesus was the trailblazer. Jesus was the founder of our faith. Jesus is the founder of our faith. And Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. The reason we fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He did it. He accomplished it. It's fulfilled in him. He ran the race in faith and he finished it perfectly. It is finished. Amen? He did what no one, none of us could do. He finished it. In what way? We're told. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Gee, I don't know if you know this. And I don't even want to assume that your mindset is focused on the central part of the good news about Jesus Christ. That is, he came, he lived a perfect life, and he died for us on the cross, in our place, for our sins. Have you forgotten the simple truth that Jesus died for you? Did you even know that about Jesus Christ? I don't even want to assume that you know that. Why such a focus and emphasis on Jesus? Because of who he was and what he who he is and what he accomplished for us in his life and death. He died for sinners in love to restore them back to relationship with God, to give them the basis for the forgiveness of all their sins, to give them basis and foundation for being set free from these sins that so easily entangle. Jesus died for us, and then he says, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. His sitting down means that what he did accomplished the purpose for which it set out. It achieved our salvation. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus, for who he is, what he accomplished in his life and in his death. But not only that, verse 3 says, consider him, consider Jesus. Why? Because he endured such hostility. He endured such difficulty on his race that he ran. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, it has a sustaining impact on our race running. You take your eyes off Jesus and you get weary, amen? You keep your eyes on Jesus. You focus on Him, who He is. You focus on Him, what He's accomplished for you. You keep swimming in the ocean of grace in His 
word and his gospel. You just keep swimming. You keep going to the well of grace, his word, his people, prayer, his table, his meal. You keep going to Jesus. You keep focusing on Jesus. You keep going to him in prayer. You keep crying out to him. And that has a continual sustaining effect on your ability. Man, another step, another step, another step. And it just provides such endurance for us. You take your eyes off Jesus, even subtly, for a moment, over time, and you feel weary, you feel confused, you feel disoriented, you want to give up. Maybe even some doubts creep in. You start to lose assurance. He's saying, yeah, because your eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. And even that, you say, well, I feel so stuck in distractions. Believe me, I feel like my head is a whirlwind of insanity, of different directions. And half of my prayer life is, Lord, forgive me for not, like, thinking about the 90s bulls during my prayer time. Like, I don't even know what I'm thinking about. I understand. We can always be reminded of the promises of God that He's sustaining us. Right? We just sang, He will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail. He will hold me fast. If you've considered Christ and placed your faith and trust in Him, God has made you a race runner. He's put you on the track. And He's put around you this great cloud of examples that are encouragement to you. He's given you His Holy Spirit to empower you in the life of sanctification, of letting go of sin. He's given you eyes that see Jesus for all that He is. He's given you a vision. He's given you a hope in which you run and you aim toward. And the promise of God is that He will never leave us or forsake us. He's not left us to our own power and devices. He's given us His Spirit. And He will hold us fast. Amen? He will not let us go. And He's even encouraging you now to trust Him. To keep your eyes on Jesus. To let go of sin. To understand that the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It requires perseverance, not speed. That's the Christian life. The Christian life in running will invite exhaustion, adversity, obstacles, but He will hold us fast. Amen? And please, as we run, let's not forget what awaits us at the finish line. It's so easy to forget what life is all about, friend. It's so easy in the parenting and the financial struggles and the this and the that and my job and my boss and my mowing the lawn. It's so easy in the midst of all those temporal challenges to miss the whole point, right? In Ecclesiastes, you've been wrestling, what is the point? What's the end? What's the purpose? It's all about Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus 
And as you do, as you take each step by faith, don't forget that one day you will cross that finish line too. And what will you encounter? The risen Jesus. What will you see with your eyes? Jesus. Jesus. As my grandma said in her dying bed, thinking about what it would be like to see Jesus, she said, I couldn't imagine anything more beautiful than that. Is life worth anything more than Christ? Is it? Christ is everything. Let us run with endurance. Let us pursue our hope. And let us run with the assurance that every step of the way, as we forsake sin, focus on Christ, cling to Him in prayer, He will hold us fast. Amen? So friend, to simplify, forsake sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race with endurance until the end. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this simple reminder from your word. I pray the Spirit of God would apply these truths to the hearts of every person here. May we be a church that is passionate about sanctification, that sees joy and satisfaction in knowing you and becoming like you. May we walk away from counterfeits and idols. Give us freedom from sin. I pray that if there's anybody here that is stuck in sin, feels the shame and the guilt and the frustration of it, I pray that you would set them free through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray that you would apply your righteousness to them and then enable them to live in holiness before you. This is the very reason you sent your Son, that we might be holy and blameless before you. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here whose life, in subtle ways or in total ways, is not fixed on Christ, focused on Him, I pray that you would reveal yourself powerfully who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus provides. I pray that everyone here would embrace Christ by faith in renewed ways or for the very first time. Draw people by your Spirit to a life of running the race toward Christ and give them the strength to endure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.